Next are five outstanding change makers representing a number of leading Connecticut companies, Bigelow T, Otis Elevators, Medtronic, and Incor. This morning's conversation is moderated by CBIA's board member, Moy Ogilvy, managing partner for MacArthur and English Hartford Office. Moy, good morning. Good morning, Beatrice. Thank you very much. We are all really excited to continue the discussion that's been going on this morning. Um, I know we are all inspired by what we've heard so far from all of the speakers. So thank you to CBIA for continuing this conference, even um, in this remote way. And uh, we are all ready for this discussion. It's going to be informative. There will not be enough time <laughs> because these women are all phenomenal. But we're going to get through as much as we can. And, um, and if there are time for questions at the end, we will do those. So today's panel, we are going to focus really on the past year, what 2020 and beyond has taught us about leadership. And uh, these women are going to share um, some of their experiences um, at their corporations and businesses. So let me just briefly introduce the panelists. I will um, beg you to look at their bios. They are so extremely impressive, um, but I'm just going to highlight their names and titles right now. But please take a minute and look at their bios if you have not um, when we are done with this program today. So first we have Cindy Bigelow, who is the president and CEO of Bigelow Teeth. And I think everyone knows or should know they are the U.S. market leader in specialty teas, and they are also a family-owned business uh, for many generations. Um, we also have with us Robin Fiala, who is the vice president of sales and marketing of Otis. And also everyone should know that Otis is the global uh, leader in making and installing elevators and escalators. We also have Valerie Finnery, who is the Vice President Operations um, of, and Surgical Innovations for Medtronic, which is one of the largest medical device companies in the world. And then last but not least, we have Meredith Shea, who is the CEO of Incord, which is the largest manufacturer of custom safety netting in North America. And Meredith is so beyond impressive. Um, she became CEO of this company around the age or just before the age of 30. So um, kudos to her. And all of these women are impressive. And we're going to get going and, and talk a little bit more about this past year. And um, first, we just want to talk in, about characteristics of um, leaders during the time of crisis. And if you could all share what you think um, are some characteristics um, that leaders had to use and show um, during your during the time of crisis. Either you displayed it or you saw other leaders do it well. If you could just share and everybody, anybody can go first. I'm happy to go first if you'd like. First of all, ladies, it's a pleasure to have an opportunity to be with you this uh, morning and, and uh, chat and share some stories. I'm sure there, we have more similar stories than we could ever imagine. Um, for me, it was, um, you know, several lessons learned about what was the qualities needed. The first one was patience. Um, I think we needed to know when we needed to act and when we needed to listen more. Um, but besides patience, there was really, for me during the crisis, the ability to really reassess at a faster speed than anything I could imagine. We were putting plans in place and within three hours, those plans really... <clears throat> Had, had had run its course and it now you needed to change plans and so you know it, it, 
patience, reassessment, listening. And then I guess the last one I would really say um, is you can't panic. They can't see you at all uh, not being able to deal with everything that's coming your way. And so um, for me, it was really showing a steady hand and really leading a ship, um, although reassessing and moving in a lot of different directions, really showing um, that we're going to be okay. Thanks, Cindy. Anyone else? Hey, more. Go ahead, Robin. <laughs> Sorry, uh, this is this is Robin, and again, I am, feel very honored to be here with uh, with these women on this panel, as well as to to share with you some of some of our stories at Otis. It's been um, a phenomenal year for us. In addition to you know managing through a pandemic, we also spun. Um, out from United Technologies and become our own publicly traded company that's caused us to, in, in many ways, do a lot of what, you know, Cindy just described. Um, and maybe just a, a couple of the additional leadership traits that, that I would just maybe suggest is, is really truly listening. You know, I think a lot of us think we listen, but I think it's taught us to listen and engage with not just our employees, but our customers, and in our case, our writing public in ways that we never, um, you know, maybe had to in the past. I think it's also taught us to really be agile and flexible, um, you know, and move, you know, as, as Cindy said, at a, at a pace that one could never imagine um, um, in the past. And then finally, I'll just talk about sort of being innovative, right? We've had to think about creative and new solutions um, for problems that, you know, um, a week ago hadn't existed, right? So we had to kind of um, really think outside the box and really leverage, I think, a lot of different, um, different levers than perhaps we had to in the past. Great. Thanks, Robin. Thanks. Uh, just a, a couple things to, to add to that, if I may. Hello, everyone. Hello, Moy. Thanks for, for having me. Um, I would just add that you know this was a very different type of crisis, right? So most of us, our whole lives, we've dealt with various you know crises, right? For me personally, you know, it might be a tornado or a hurricane or a major supplier disruption. But I think in the past year, you know, the crises have been different because it's impacted more than maybe brick and mortar plants, right? For operations, at least. It's impacted our team members, their families, whole communities in ways that I think previous crises haven't. And so, you know, the things, some of the things that, that I had to do differently was really think through empathy uh, and putting, putting myself in the shoes of, of some of our team members and what they were going through, what they were going through maybe at home or, or in their community. So I think empathy was a big one. And the other one was really communication and honing those communication skills, because that was that was really critical. People wanted to hear from their leaders. The messages may be really tough, and in some cases, not what they wanted to hear, but really bringing forth facts in a humble and, and truthful way, I think uh, was appreciated and helped establish trust long-term. That's great. Meredith, anything to add? Yeah, I... Um... I realized with how rapidly everything was changing that we needed a framework for decision-making. And um, as a leader, I, if I led by having decisions made out of love instead of fear and could allow the rest of our company to make decisions that way, we'd have a way to make decisions that um, 
everybody could be happy with the end results, knowing that we, we did it in that way and it was the best we could do with the information that we had at the time. Thank you. And thank you all for just sharing some of those um, ideas. Because I mean, we could have a whole discussion just on that alone. But I think for, for the attendees, I think it's just helpful for them to hear from you all um, some of the characteristics that uh, you uh, had to have or, or that you've seen that are really helpful at times of crisis. But let's go into a little bit about some of examples of some of the general challenges that you all had in terms of running your business and, and keeping your workforce going um, over the past year. And again, uh, whoever wants to start first. I, I could start. Um, my father passed away on March 8th of 2020. He was the owner of the company. Um, so in addition to uh, pretty tragic circumstances, uh, we had a company without, without an owner um, and had to pretty quickly adapt to a changing environment with the pandemic, um, as well as a changing environment for a company. Um, during those first two weeks, I have a one and three-year-old. Um, so I learned pretty quickly that they weren't going to be returning to school after spring break. Um, and so those were some pretty significant challenges, um, that we just, we saw within the first two weeks of, of everything happening, um, that we had to address as a company, as a family, as owners of business. No, thank you for sharing that. And I know on behalf of all of us, we, um, we um, send condolences for your loss, but thank you for sharing that, definitely. I'll provide a, a little perspective um, on, you know, just from a manufacturing standpoint, I think our biggest challenge is because we make, you know, life, you know, life-saving equipment uh, and, and medical equipment um, we had to, you know, keep keep going, right? So whereas some businesses might have been able to kind of shift, which we did, you know, for a lot of a good portion of our business, but in manufacturing, you know, we had to quickly pivot to being able to to maintain operations and ensuring we had a very safe work environment for our employees. Um, so that was probably the, the biggest challenge, right? In our factories, we we had to very quickly. Uh, get personal protective equipment, which was in short supply. Uh, we had to do social distancing, so we had to relay re out some of our our lines. Um, you know, we had to do screening, right, Act and tra contact tracing, um, and and so that was probably some of the the biggest challenges to keep you know the, the factories running. Uh, but you also had to make sure that your workforce still wanted to come to work, right? So you had to make sure that we would communicate effectively that it was going to be a safe environment, that they could come into work and all the things that we were putting in place. So, so from, a, from an operations perspective, perspective, those were probably the, the biggest challenges. And then there's a whole other set of challenges, you know, maybe somebody else can touch on from, a, from a working from home and, and virtual work. Um, for myself, first of all, Meredith, um, I'm very sorry. I, no matter what I say today, in terms of what I had to deal with, I, I can't even imagine um, what you had to go through, to be honest. Um, that's at a whole other level. Um, but, you know, for me, I think you know, I can relate to um, what you're saying, Daria, manufacturing and then 
uh, having an office as well and blending that. And I think what I really learned early on is that, again, we were talking about you're used to tornadoes or whatever you're dealing with in your businesses. All of a sudden, all of us were dealing with an emotional spectrum that we have never seen before. Of all the things you deal with, I think they're usually business forward. And in this particular case, we were dealing with emotions uh, that covered. And so we would have, you know, the manufacturing team, we, need, we have 400 employees um, and 300 of them are in manufacturing. So we need to create that safe environment and bring them in during times where they were receiving tremendous pressure from the press, their family, their own particular fears. At the same time, uh, in the office, again, same pressures. And you, you really had to try to look at all of the emotions and then try to base it on, yes, empathy. And, and I appreciate what Mary said about love, but also facts and bringing everybody sort of into a center spot. Um, that was very difficult to do, especially early on. It's still difficult to do, but it was really challenging at the beginning. And so for me, when you ask, what is the I learned about myself, I learned that I thought humility was important. Humility is essential. Because as soon as you think you have the answer, you didn't have the answer anymore. So I guess uh, it was really reinforcing, I would say, at the beginning of COVID and where we are today, humility is, is the biggest characteristic that I learned. That you need to really think about that even at a higher level. No, that's great. Humility is essential. Yeah, definitely. Robin, any anything else to add with regard to challenges that you faced in your with your company? Yeah, I mean, maybe the one thing that that I would just add is that you know, with our sixty thousand employees around the world, the challenges we faced, while very similar in each country, you know, um, definitely had its unique differences for a variety of different reasons. Um, what our employees faced um, in the in the local markets. Um, you know, and we've, we have employees, you know, both in the, in the office and in factories, but also a significant en a number of our employees, essential workers on the front line, installing and servicing equipment and infrastructures like hospitals, et cetera. So, um, we had to, you know, figure out ways to really quickly, um, mobilize those folks, make sure that they were safe, make sure they had the proper PPE and in over 150 countries and territories around the world, which each posed its, again, sort of its own unique requirements, challenges, um, struggles. Um, so I think that was um, one of the things that, you know, let's say, you know, certainly early on in the pandemic that was was critical for us um, and critical for, you know, our, our you know, for our, our customers um, and really figuring out how to how to deal with that and collaborate and support each other. Um, and really have not just the empathy, but the, the leadership and ownership to help make it all happen. So, um, again, I think, you know, the, the organization learned a lot um, and really supporting and acting more as a, a global enterprise um, than, you know, sort of really trying to kind of go fight these fires, you know, singularly on their own. No, thank you for that. And, and also, I think it's great, and you all touched on it, the, the idea that so many of you have as workers, the frontline workers, the essential workers, the ones who had to be there to keep the, the, the companies and businesses going, you know, while many of us were able to do what we did from our homes or, or certainly um, places where we could uh, 
guarantee our safety a little bit more. So um, it's important that you all um, mentioned that and, and the challenges of that. And, and obviously you all um, did it well and did it successfully. Um, one thing, and we've heard this all morning, and this is a conference um, about women and um, for women. So let's talk about more, even more about the pandemic's impact on women. And there's a lot of data that's out there that shows that many of the jobs that were lost were lost uh, were women's uh, women's jobs. Many women work in the leisure, hospitality, um, uh, retail, all those things that shut down, frankly, right? And um, so that, on one level, um, was a huge loss um, in terms of um, work opportunities. And then also, um, as Wendy mentioned earlier, there was um, the McKinsey reports. And uh, McKinsey reports really looked how women in corporate America have been impacted during um, the pandemic. And I'll just read the quote. Um, and, and again, it was talked a little bit about this morning, but the pandemic had a near immediate effect on women's employment. One in four women are considering leaving the workforce or downshifting their careers versus one in five men. While all women have been impacted, three major groups have experienced the largest, some of the largest challenges, working mothers, women in senior management, and Black women. So going from there, I just want to talk a little bit about what you all experienced um, in terms of leading uh, your workforce and the challenges that really came to the forefront in particular for women, right? Women who have children, women who were taking on the brunt of um, elder care um, and parents in general, of course. And just let's talk a little bit more deeper about that. So in your companies, you know, what did you see and how did you help um, your employees um, navigate? Who wants to go first? I'll just, I'm just, I'm just laughing that Robin has 60,000 employees and we have 400 and how is she ever going to end? <laughs> okay, that's a, that's a tough one with 60,000 employees. Um, <clears throat> even with 400, it was a tough one to try to, uh, to address. And I guess for me, we try to look at, again, we're so much smaller um, really than both, you know, Robin and Valerie's company for sure in terms of number of employees and the global impact, et cetera. But we just try to listen to each case individually. And again, it's very difficult You have Frontline workers that need the two bag machines need to run. And you have a marketing individual or a customer service individual. And so there were two different worlds you were balancing, which was actually hard for me because, you know, we sort of try to run the organization based on fairness. And there was already something that was not fair. Um, and I had to wrestle with that, to be honest. So we were sensitive. And obviously, I'd like to think we were sensitive in both cases. We've heard every case. We allowed the uh, employee to do what they needed to do. Obviously, no one was going to lose their job over that. Um, it's interesting, it wasn't just females. We actually had uh, males having the same issue, uh, not to the same degree in terms of numbers, but it was really one-on-one -on -one allowing them to do what they needed to do. In some cases, we were able to work um, with one of the organizations here in Bridgeport uh, Workplace, and they had services that were available childcare services, et cetera. We already had a major uh, childcare desert in the state. It only got much worse after COVID, but then help work with them to try to get them childcare. So again, small enough uh, family business that we were able to sort of 
hopefully do whatever was necessary to help get through this pandemic, job security and offering services when available. Thanks, Cindy, anyone else? Yeah, very, very similar, I, I think, you know, at Medtronic, we, we have been working very hard to differentiate in the area of gender diversity really hard over, over the last several years, you know, investing and attracting, retaining and, and promoting women. And, um, you know, while we continue to advocate for women through various networks and employee resource groups, we have received feedback from a lot of women about how the pandemic burdens, you know, being shouldered by women and women of color in particular uh, is putting some of those, those gains at risk, um, you know, uh, and he mentioned childcare. Um, it's derailing work days. Even even women trying to work from home with kids, you know, bouncing around in the in the background, and everybody just really needed to be okay with that. Um, but I think what it's what it's uh, presented now, when we are doing some surveys about return, you know, return to office. Right, everybody's been working, but it's return to office. We have seen a, a discrepancy between. Um, our, our, our male team members who maybe want to come back to work um, more days per week and, and the female who, you know, wants to maybe come back to work a couple days a week. So one thing that we are doing in, in, in addition to what was done during the pandemic, right, um, where we offered, you know, child care stipends and, and more flexible time and, and things like that. Going forward, I think one of the things, a big thing we need to consider is a potential hybrid model. Uh, and leveraging that, because I think that's going to be the expectation, um, perhaps, going forward. And from, from some of the articles I've read is that uh, our, our workforce is going to perhaps expect more flexibility uh, with, with a hybrid model. And I think in particular, women will be looking for that. I think about when I was starting in my career, and my kids are older now, but when they were very young, I would have given my left arm for like a one day a week to work to work from home just to get some stuff done. So I think that's going to be a big part of the go forward plan. Yeah, no, thank you for sharing that. Maybe I'll just add, like, you know, broadly for us at Otis, you know, women represent more than a third of our executives globally and 40% in the US. So it's something um, that Otis takes very seriously and has been um, promoting and uh, working through uh, for a number of years. Um, at the same time, we've just recently, you know, committed to, to join Paradigm for Parity. We're the first in our industry and it really goes to just our overall commitment to reach gender parity at the executive level by, by 2030. And I think this really kind of speaks to, like I said, sort of our culture, you know, of being sort of the innovators in our industry and really committing to this, as I said, really on a global level. It's, um, you know, it just poses different challenges as you work, um, you know, at the scale in, in the kind of countries that that we operate in. And so I'm very proud of what, what Otis is doing. Um, at the same time, I think, you know, there's other things that, that we've done um, that I encourage folks to, to think about in, in terms of employee resource groups, mentorship programs, because I think as we all say, like, you know, it does take a village. And I think a lot of times, at least my experience has been is these, these women tend to feel isolated. They feel alone in their challenge. Maybe they're only surrounded by men and they don't see how to do it. They don't see the light. They don't see 
that there's a way to do it. And so, you know, putting them into, um, you know, situations where they can connect with others to learn um, about, okay, how have you done it? I'm, I'm a mother of three. I'm a working executive. I travel globally. Like, okay, so I share my ideas with people and I share my network with people, you know, people, not just me who figured it out, but other people have figured it out. It's not easy. Um, but giving people that network and those lifelines to, you know, brainstorm and, and learn from, I think is, is critical for folks, um, even more critical right now for all the reasons we just described, um, so that would be my, you know, my offer for folks. Yeah, I think that point you made about isolation and really thinking that you're alone and nobody is, is going through what you've gone through. And I think that's why conferences also like these are really important. So you can hear that there are so many others, whether it's in your workplace or at other workplaces that are going through similar challenges and you're not alone. And, and I think as women leaders, I think, you know, our, you know, women have worked so hard to get so many opportunities in all different industries. And to the thought of um, one year um, derailing a lot of what has been done over decades for, you know, people whose shoulders that we all stand on, like, I think it just hopefully gives, motivates us all um, as women leaders to really look at this issue in a deeper way than we probably did um, prior to the pandemic. And then, so Meredith, I want to give you a chance to also talk on this topic. I know yeah. you have two really young ones at home and it's interesting you being the very, one of the, the, the top, the leader at your company. And, and I'm sure everyone's watching how you are doing this and how you're handling it and um, how that um, reflects in your workplace. So we, we have a, pretty strong manufacturing base. Um, we're about 50, 50 male, male and female, um, um, for, for all the departments at our company. Um, and what we found was things might not be fair. Um, so we really tried to separate what was, a effect of the pandemic on, um, somebody's attendance or, their performance versus what was something that was in their control. Um, and we tried, you know, on a unique basis to help people with those childcare issues or things out of their control um, to, to be able to address them so that they could continue to work and feel successful and we could continue to get what needed to get done as a company. Um, and I had a lot of compassion because I was right there in it with everybody else. Um, so I think that was a big lesson learned um, just for helping people get through really difficult, unique situations and understanding it was going to be different for every single person, um, how we could help them through it, but that we had to do it together. That was the only way we were going to get out of this. Um, and on the manufacturing side, we did two shifts which helped out um, quite a bit with a lot of the families to be able to work with their uh, support network to have childcare maybe during these hours and not these, so that they could still work full time. Um, but we chose to be flexible with the hours so that they could, you know, do the schooling at home virtually or uh, find that childcare that was needed to, to do their job. That's great. Any, anyone else? I think we I just want to add one thing that I, I, and ask the other um, uh, ladies on the panel here. Um, for me, what was interesting was uh, there was a greater awareness of the impact on women 
So what does that mean? Um, you know, I've now heard stories for, you know, we've had manufacturing. One of our shifts starts at 4 a.m. And, and these off hours where daycare isn't really available. And they used to literally have to wake a child up and bring them to the relative's house and then get here by 4 o'clock in the morning. What does that look like? And I think prior to the honest, the pandemic, I was more like, okay, once you enter in the door, how am I creating the best environment possible for you? Um, where you would feel engaged, uh, respected, uh, and we provide you with the proper um, benefits. Now I'm looking further down that journey to get into the door that I really wasn't aware of. Does that mean we have the solutions? We do not. But um, I'm working uh, as part of the Governor Workforce Council, and the area I'm working on it includes child care. And, and, you know, when they talk about childcare, they're, they're still talking about probably those standard hours and what are we doing for individuals? Again, in my case, the manufacturing area, those, those hours are not always standard. So again, it's just a, it's a, a greater awareness. At least that's all I can say right now. I have a greater awareness and I'm trying to think about when we're thinking about solutions, I think more inclusive solutions yeah. than are currently on the table. Yeah, no, that's perfect. I think we all tend to look at things from our own situation. So we're thinking of from the nine, from the nine to fivers or what have you. But as you said, like you have a workforce that you need to be inclusive of how how it impacts them, right? And those who work the night shift or the evening shift or those who have you know um, are doing it all by themselves, perhaps, and as opposed to having a, you know a spouse or family support systems. Um, so definitely that inclusive inclusivity and that empathy is um, so important. And I think we've all learned uh, that we perhaps can do a lot more and, and, and think a lot more about those um, issues. And this is a perfect segue into the topic of um, workplace culture and employee well-being. You know, this year we dealt with the pandemic, the medical issue crisis, then remote work, uh, the challenges and the newness of that for most companies. Then we have the social and racial uh, justice issues um, full force right around the same time. And then also the political issues. So, uh, I mean, you couldn't imagine a, a, a scenario like what we've just gone through. But with all that, it impacted all of our employees in different ways. All of those things impacted our employees in different ways. And it seemed that this was the first time that I can remember at least that employers had to actually really think about how do we deal with our employees well-being how do we make sure to the extent we can that they are okay okay you know to take care of their families okay then to also do continue doing the work of the company etc like we couldn't ignore it anymore we couldn't just say like let's just look at what happens when they're in in our walls right and, and how things externally are impacted packaging them. Let's talk a little bit about what either you um, did with your companies or within the divisions that you run um, to deal with, um, you know, well-being and, and addressing the fact that there was a lot going on and none of us have ever gone through anything like this. Who wants to go first? I can talk about a, a few of you know the things that, that we did, um, but again, most of the of the team members uh, on my staff, you know, and, and and that that group continued to go to the sites, right? Continued, which presented you know a different a different aspect. 
Um, but the, the broader organization, you know, they, they still felt good about what they were doing, continuing to manufacture and support health and, and life-saving products. But some of the other, other folks, right, I, I think the key things here were listening to the staff, right, and, and talking about well-being, right, before, um, you know, I, I've kind of been at this for 25 years, and we didn't have a lot of conversations just about how people were doing in the past. So I think one thing that's been brought, you know, to the forefront is just having those conversations with employees about how they're feeling, how they're doing, and then also just providing the resources and the communication, you know, that it's okay to not be okay sometimes, right? Because there's there were new stressors introduced uh, that people hadn't had to uh, hadn't had to deal with in the past. Um, and then, you know, I think we also did some training, right? Uh, there was quite a bit of unconscious bias training. There were statements from our company about kind of where that we stood as a company. That was made very clear uh, to people. So that was helpful. Like this is, this is us and this is where we stand on this issue. Um, and that really, I think, contributed to um, people seeking to understand more. You know, there were a lot of sessions around, uh, around just, having conversations with some of our resource groups, right? Whether it's our African descent network or our, our Asian network or pride or whatever, having those conversations about inclusivity and um, and opening up the, the dialogue quite a bit more. And, and maybe for some of the office personnel, at least all of the Zoom calls um, helped foster some of those conversations, I think in a, in a different way as well. So I think communication, uh, enhanced training, and then just the dialogue around the well-being were kind of the three focus areas for us. Yeah, no, that's great. And I think what you said is what a lot of companies try to do and implement. And I'd be curious too, also, you know, yesterday was the anniversary of the murder of, of George Floyd. And, and I think a lot of companies, you know, of course, at the moment we say, oh my gosh, we have to address it, your employees and your customers and everyone's expecting you to address it. But now we're a year out and like, you know, going forward, do you see your companies saying like, you know what, we are going to stick with this and we are going to try and be part of the solution. Again, we all play such a tiny role um, in our world communities and our, but in our workplace, like we can do something. So is, any, is, is there any company that's trying to continue this post pandemic, post, uh, you know, this one year anniversary? Maybe more, I'll talk a little bit about what Otis has done. You know, about a year ago, we launched a campaign called Our Commitment to Change. And I think what it, it did was really on a whole scale effort, you know, really, um, you know, showed our employees, you know, the uh, our overall commitment really and framework to ensure that really everyone felt that their voices were heard, that they feel safe, um, that their opinions were welcome. Um, you know, and, and had a voice in the company. And I think, you know, to do that, we hired an expert in diversity inclusion to really come in and sort of assess our programs and look at, um, you know, where our gaps were, help us understand some of the best practices that were out there and really kind of helped us lay out, okay, what are the things you should do? How do you phase this in? And how do you really kind of 
put your money where your mouth is, so to speak, you know, kind of to your point, it's like one thing to, you know, kind of create some communication. And it's another thing of how do you show action and how do you continue to show action? So I think, you know, what's exciting to me is, is how Otis has done that. Um, We actually, this morning, we just released our ESG strategy that starts to put some more commitment and teeth into that, into that program, um, you know, talks about our investment in STEM as well, you know, and really, you know, helping to build that talent pipeline, um, you know, across the organization for the future or across the world, let's say for the future. Um, so again, I think it's, it's some, you know, it's not just kind of creating um, some thoughts around it, but really, you know, how do you create some very strong commitments and, and hold yourself accountable to your employees for it as well? Thank you, Robin. That's great. And I think also, I would guess in many of the companies, it's a lot of women who lead on those issues and have really been able to take their companies to a different level level. So we should celebrate that too and and continue that. So, um, all right, we're running, almost running out of time, but so uh, I just want to do two quick questions with you for what was your thing that you did during your self-care thing that you did uh, during the pandemic? So we heard earlier that Wendy, it was the Peloton. What what did you guys, what did you start that you're going to continue? I started gardening. Okay, nice. It was wonderful. I'll continue that for a long time, I think. All right. Anyone else? I spent a lot more time with my kids uh, and tried to start exercising a bit more. Uh, The good news is my dog lost 10 pounds. I did not, but my dog was a bit heavy, lost 10 pounds. So that was happening. Anyone else? Well, I've been in the office from uh, day one, so my routine has not changed that much, to be honest. And the hours have certainly not gotten any better over the last uh, year. So, you know, I, I don't know, just for me, it's just trying to continue, um, trying to be mindful that I need time for me, whether it's that hour in the morning from seven to eight where I can either do emails or I can read whatever I want to read or practice my Spanish or whatever I want to do. Just just really not, not finding time for anything new, but really just being mindful that I still need some time. I cannot let the business, I cannot let COVID consume me, although it's consumable. And so I just try to stay true to that. Great. Anyone else? Yeah, I feel the same way Cindy does. I think at the beginning of the pandemic, you know, it did consume me, right? And so my routine did change. Um, Instead of traveling all the time, I I was at home, but I was on calls from 5 a.m. to 11 p.m. at night, you know, so it felt all consuming. And so one of the things I changed was I began blocking time for me, you know, again, even if it was to take a quick walk or, you know, get a drink or something. But I think, you know, just as you said, Cindy, making time a little bit for yourself to decompress, because I no longer had that drive or that flight that allowed me that opportunity to have some time to myself. And um, so, yeah, that would be what I would say. No, and, and that's all great. So thank you for sharing that with the audience because it's important. If you're if we don't take care of ourselves, then we're not going to be any uh, use to our, our businesses or our families. And, and we have to acknowledge and give ourselves grace and time to, you know, recoup. So we're going to end with one question from the audience, and it's perfect because we're all transitioning to this post-pandemic um, world. And the question um, from this audience member, for women who are 
now working from home and are still trying to build their career and grow, how do you ensure that you still are included in those big meetings, opportunities, et cetera? And um, when the physical work, it was already a, a challenge with the physical workplace um, to uh, assert yourself. So how, are we, how do you do that if you're not always in the physical workspace or just any tips, closing tips that you all could share with our audience? Yeah, one thing that uh, several women have, have reached out to me and they're just establishing kind of a routine kind of one-on-one uh, and mentoring, um, I think that's been impactful because it, it uh, even if you were in different offices or different parts of the world, um, you didn't have to kind of be connected uh, in the same room. I think one thing this has done is because our, our work hours have expanded a little bit. Uh, so, you know, those, those one-on-one meetings, I, I'm still having folks kind of reach out and establish those to make those connections. We've also done some virtual meetups. Uh, and so if you want to kind of put yourself out there and establish like, you know, a, a coffee hour or a happy hour or something like that, I think that will kind of keep your network open as well. And I, I've seen a lot of folks doing that as an idea. Great. Anyone else? All right, you all were wonderful. As I said, we would not have enough time. We could talk for hours, but you were great. And hopefully the audience um, got some great um, advice and motivation and inspiration hearing the three of you. So thank you to Cindy, Robin, Meredith, and Valerie. Thank you to CBIA for having us all. And with that, we're gonna go back to B. Thank you so much.